The following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Act 2, Scene 1, Ezio's Camp. Ezio reads a document from the young Roman emperor, ordering him to return to Rome, since a truce with the Huns has been declared. Recalling its past days of glory, the general laments Rome's current state of decline. A group of slaves invites Ezio to Attila's camp, and the general accepts their king's offer. One of the slaves, Foresto in disguise, remains to tell Ezio that Attila will die this very day. The Romans are to be ready for a signal that indicates the opportunity to destroy the invaders. The general rejoices that he will have a chance to fight and, if killed, die a hero. Scene 2. Attila's camp prepared for a solemn feast. Attila welcomes Ezio to the banquet that seals the truce between the Huns and the Romans. Druids warn Attila that it is fatal to sit with the Roman general, but the king dismisses their prophecy. Suddenly, a strong wind extinguishes the lights in the camp. Though Attila chastises Ezio for suggesting again that they become partners against Rome, he privately admits his spirit is faltering. Rousing himself, Attila orders the festivities to continue. He goes to drink from a cup that Uldino has poisoned, but Odabella, determined that she be the one to slay Attila, saves him. The king furiously demands to know who dared to threaten his life, and Foresto declares that he is responsible. Attila draws his sword to kill him, but Odabella pleads that she be the one to decide the betrayer's fate. Pleased by the maiden's loyalty, Attila hands over Foresto to her and tells his people that he will marry Odabella the next day and then resume warfare. The truce with Rome is over. Act 3. A Wood Near Attila's Camp On the day of Odabella's marriage to Attila, Foresto tells Uldino that the Roman troops are in the forest, ready to destroy the Huns. Alone, Foresto laments that Odabella has been faithless to him. Ezio hastily enters. The Romans are waiting for the attack. As Foresto is tormented, 
with the thought of his beloved's waiting to Attila, Ordebello arrives, seeking to avenge the death of her father. She again tells Foresto that she loves only him. Attila follows Odabella into the forest and discovers the three people who want to destroy him. As sounds of battle come from Attila's camp, Foresto goes to stab his enemy, but Odabella makes the first strike. Dying, Attila cannot believe that the woman he loved has betrayed him. It's important to note that while this opera depicts paths of masters, at our level we can learn from this example. Every initiate, every student, every Gnostic missionary must learn to die to ego. The one who slays the ego is Kundalini, the fire of the Divine Mother, the sword of Odabella, beautiful Ida, the sexual force. We want to enter the path of perfection through the elimination of impurity. And it is this struggle between purity and impurity which is the central drama of this opera, the barbarians and the Romans, the kingdom of heaven and the infidels, the ego. We see Ezio in the opening of Act 2 lamenting the state of Rome. This is our situation. Amore, love, chastity, the purity of the creative force is not there. Our sexuality, our desires, corrupt love. And so, Ezio, Etzio, Otzio in Hebrew, the tree of knowledge, which creates a great warrior, a viria, a virile one, laments that his kingdom is deplorable. It is ruled by incompetent rulers, which for us is our own mind, our own Pontius Pilate, who washes his hands clean of responsibility. He receives a message from Rome telling him to return. And Ezio is enraged. As a hierarch of the law, as a master of major mysteries, as a warrior of Rome, the higher kingdoms, he wants to purify the kingdom of all imperfection. But the current emperor, the one who is governing the sexual energy, is the ego. And therefore it is a weak ruler. Our own ego makes us weak. The one who should be ruling sex is the spirit, is Christ. Will a brave veteran ever bow down to a coward, a weak slave? the current emperor who has made a truce with the Huns and recalled his troops. We shall see, but this is fitting for a hero whose supreme power will lift the fatherland from such troubles. Our own mind makes a truce with weakness, imperfection, impatience, anger, lust. And so Ezio, the tree of knowledge in us, that principle of the Divine Mother, the great warrior 
decides this must not be. This must change. We must no, show no mercy to the ego, to our own inner barbarian. And so he invokes or evokes a beautiful image of his fatherland, Italia, the absolute. And the Italians in this opera are the initiates. He speaks of immortal, beautiful mountain peaks, the mountain of Sinai, the Mount Zion, where the initiates rise to return to that beautiful height, spiritually, internally. And he prays that the shades of the lost souls within Klipot may rise up. That is the power of sex. It is the power that can liberate. From the beautiful immortal peaks of past glory, may the shades of our ancestors rise just for a moment around us. From there, the conquering eagle took its flight across the world. In this abject corpse, who can now recognize Rome? Because that sexual power comes from the absolute. Descends down our tree of life, this multidimensional figure, into our sexuality. And now we must return that force back to heaven. Raise it up the spine. Fill the mind with light. The sexual force now is a corpse. Our soul is dead. But it can be resurrected. And this is the whole pur purpose of the path that we seek to follow. So, Foresto emerges on the scene to plot with Ezio the death of Attila. Foresto, we said, relates to the forests, the elementals of nature, part of our being, the elemental advocate who works with the chastity of the sexual force to slay impurity. Ezio listens to this figure. Obviously, he agrees with him that they will conspire to kill the barbarian. Obviously, in a conventional setting, there'd be more information required because Foresto just jumps in the scene. Ezio doesn't know who he is and they just happen to agree. I mean, that's part of the part of the limited narrative of a superficial reading of this opera. Obviously, in a conventional sense, it doesn't make sense. But deep down, the forest, the elementals of the forest, the powers of nature in us, the divine, conspire with the tree of knowledge to kill the ego. Let the Roman troops be ready for a sign. When they see a fire burst into flames from the mountain, let them fall like wild beasts on the confused crowd. We have a lot of references to fire and mountains in this opera. We say in the prayer to the fire elementals, the exorcism of fire, Mikael, king of the sun and of the lightning, Samael, king of volcanoes, Anael, prince of the astral light, I beg you to listen to my call. Amen. Then the mantra. The sexual fire. Because Samael is the power of Mars, Aries, in the head, but also Scorpio in sex. And that angel in us is a fire 
which must purify the psyche. So then the troops will come. They will slay Attila, which brings Ezio to a beautiful aria over the nature of the warriors of Mars. He agrees to Foresto and says, my lot is cast. I am ready for any war. If I fall, I shall fall as a hero in my name. Hashem in Hebrew shall remain. I will not see my beloved land slowly die and be torn to pieces. All Italy will weep over the last of the Romans, the initiates. Who is Hashem? It is Christ. Baruch Hashem Adonai. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Instead of saying Yod Hava Jehovah, out of respect, Jews will say Adonai or Hashem, Lord or the name. Because that name is sacred, unpronounceable by ego, but can be manifested in the true initiate. So he's proclaiming that he will go to war against his desires, against the barbarians within the psyche. So it's important to remember that all these factions or groups fighting amongst each other, are representative of our own inner universe. How in us we are mixed. We have virtue and vice. Compassion and lust. Humility and pride. And we're seeing through a great war who will conquer in the end. And so Ezio, as a Roman general, embodies the martial spirit of Christ to defend the purity of the psyche at any cost. And so he is vigilant like a watchman in times of war. That war is spiritual. And he says that all of Italy will weep over the last of the Romans because an initiate is rare for this very reason. It is very difficult to change. But we can aspire where we're at now to embody and to enact telema, willpower. We see Attila's camp. Again, we mentioned that the elements are referenced again and again. Earth, air, fire, water. The tattvas. These are the forces of nature within the psyche, within the human being, within the universe. We mentioned earlier that Malkut, the physical body, relates to the earth. Yasad, the vital body, relates to water. Hod, the astral body, relates to fire. And Netzach, the mental body, relates to air. Pritvi, the earth. Apas, the water. Tejas, the fire. And Vayu, the wind. In initiation, we want to take these forces and elements in us and control them. So with meditation, we learn to begin to still our body, transmute our sexual energy, calm the fires of the heart, equilibrate the mind. That is how we become initiates, master these elements in us. And so in Attila's camp, we see that the barbarian chorus recites and invokes the elements 
because that is the setting in which the initiate begins and also perfects themselves. The immense vault of the sky, the earth snatched from her enemies, and the air aflame, our Attila's palace. Now let the joy of the drinking vessels be spread around. Let us feast on limbs and severed heads until the new day dawns. This is profoundly Kabbalistic. We have the air of the, the sky, the earth, the air of flame, and the drinking vessels, the water. The master must learn to control these elements. And with joy, strive in the path of initiation. It's very easy to become discouraged by the magnitude of our faults, the strength of our lust, the power of our pride. And yet, we must learn like these barbarians, these warriors of Ares, to feast on limbs, the scattered ego, the slaughtered defects of desire, until the new day dawns. That new day is initiation, because internally in the astral plane, when the sun rises, something is born. And as you saw in the opera, and we'll talk about this, the sky presages, uh, presages omens. So they're celebrating. They've conquered the four elements. And you know from the writings of Salman Vior that if you conquer ordeals in the internal planes or physically, the children celebrate with you in the astral world, in the temples. So they're feasting as a result of conquering the unbelievers, which is our own ego. But there is a problem. As you Foresto arrive, Attila is with Odabella. She is his prisoner. And the chorus of barbarians present a omen. O king, it is fatal to sit with the foreigner, Ezio. And why, Attila asks, see the sky clouds gathering, tinged in blood, mixed with the ill-omened cry of sinister birds, the spirit of treachery howled from the mountains. Attila dismisses them, away you prophets of doom. Because no one likes to receive bad messages, especially from God. You may ask, why? Why am I seeing this? A dream that is perhaps disturbing and wounds our soul. And yet we must know what awaits us. Because we can't walk blindly. Blood, clouds, ill-omened cries of sinister birds. These are all symbols in the astral plane. Birds, blackened, can represent like ravens, negative thoughts, the mind, too much negative thinking that afflicts our psyche. And blood, obviously, can represent moral pain. And in this path, we must face moral pain. If we're dreaming of bleeding in the astral, it means we're suffering in the heart. Great emotional crises and ordeals. And a cloudy sky is a 
obstructed mind in which we don't see where we're at or what we need to do. So the ego is predominant. But the wind howls from the mountains, meaning karma is coming. So obviously this opera represents the level of a master. But even at our level, we can see that these are symbols that presage our own development here as beginners. And like Attila, we often say, away, you prophets of doom. No one likes to hear a severe message. And yet the chorus replies, may Odin protect you. Because Keter, Odin, Votan, the father, despite providing us with ordeals, does so because we need to learn from hardship. And that it's for our own benefit. So Attila strikes up the party. The holy daughters of the Huns emerge, carrying flowers, orchids, immaculate, beautiful plants, because they are nirvanis. They are holy because they are chaste. They work with Haon, the Huns, Aun, the sexual force, the virility of God. And therefore, they've reached Tifereth. They are at the level of nirvana. They are pure. Notice that in the opera, you see these holy daughters, the Huns, contrasted with some of the prisoners they've captured, some women dancing in perhaps illicit form or illicit ways, because sexuality is dual. It could be chaste or it could be impure. And the sexual energy applies to both sexes, but is represented by women, because it's a lunar force. The holy daughter of the Hun daughters of the Huns strike the lyre of celebration. The lyre is the spinal column with its notes, the seven chakras, which produce the music of the soul. The great word, Hokmah, Christ. And so they celebrate, talking about how peaceful their celebration is. But their words, while intoned with such beauty and serenity and hope are really embodying something perhaps very severe. If you look at the libretto, who gives light to the heart? No star's feeble glimmer hangs from the sky. No friendly ray from the smiling moon shines on our troubled spirits. But the wind whistles, the thunder rumbles. Only the note of the trumpet sounds. Who gives light to the heart? It is love, our divine mother, chastity. But in the sky, there is no star visible because internally to see stars is to receive ascension or to experience transcendence of the being, meaning we're connecting more with our inner divine feminine, our inner God, the inner goddess. But there's no stars in the sky. No friendly ray from the smiling moon shines on our troubled spirits. Moon, our moons, really represent suffering, pain. But also, why is it that the moon <coughs> smiles on us if it is a symbol of hardship, of suffering? Because divinity wants us to learn. No friendly ray from the smiling moon shines on our troubled spirits. Because even the moon is a message. As I said, we don't like the severity of it, but it's good to know what will happen 
because these dreams are will teach us something about our work and the level on which we're at. The thunder rumbles because karma is coming. And that there will be great pain for Attila. The chorus cries, the spirit of the mountains roars in our faces. So as you know from viewing the opera, the hardship and the ordeals strike. Ezio distracts Attila, while Foresto, or better said, Uldino, his servant, Attila's slave, poisons him. Replaces the horn, the cup of hospitality, with the poison of treachery. And this is very powerful. Uldino is his trusted servant. Why would he betray Attila? He said that Uldino is an anagram for Daniel, because the same letters spelled in Hebrew, reorganized or rearranged, spell the name Daniel. God is my judge in Hebrew. You have two vavs left over, which can make an O or U sound in the name Uldino. So two vavs, two spinal columns, the married couple in the perfect matrimony, raising the judgment of God up the spine. Uldino is the one who betrays Attila. Why? Uldino is our conscience. Our own heart betrays our ego. Our ego wants certain situations and circumstances to be a certain way. And yet, our heart will hold us accountable. This is the inner kaum, the karmic police of the astral plane, who take us to the tribunals of karma when we deserve it. Because the law of conscience is the law of the heart. And Uldino is the law of the heart, who is betraying Attila's ego, his defects. Ezio distracts Attila. Odabella is talking to Foresto. And she sees what's happening. That, her, that Attila's own people are going to betray him. Because the kingdom of heaven conspires against the impurity of lust. Do not disdain the hand of a veteran warrior, Ezio says to Attila, distracting him. Odabella says to Foresto, shall we have revenge from the hands of his people? He must not fall through their treachery. Which is very interesting. Odabella wants to kill Attila for her own. He is her prey because the fire of the Kundalini wants to slay the initiate's defects. That is a death through initiation because there's two forms of death here. The people want to poison him. And then Odabella wants to slay him by the sword. Those are the two ways that we are given. If we go through life mechanically, being our own selves or being impure, then our own lust poisons us. Eventually we'll get sick, get a karmic illness, you know, very severe diseases. Poison is karma, but also poison, this poison of the wine of alchemy. The wine of sexuality is what can really kill a person because in this path, eventually, the physical body must die. And for masters like Attila, high initiates, before they pay all their karma, they get an incurable sickness. 
you know, they're going to have a disease that will eventually kill them so that eventually, so that afterward they can resurrect on the second mountain. But even for us, you know, we have uh, many egos and elements like poison. And Odabella, who is the sword of the Kundalini, says, this initiate must not die by poison, meaning just to suffer mechanically the results of our errors. God, the faithful witness, Oda, Ida, can manage that karma. And divinity organizes our life so that we die by the sword and not prematurely through some terrible sickness or disease that will not allow us to work. There's initiatic death and then there's just karma, suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and just our life being terminated. Odabella says his ego must die going up through initiation and not go down. Attila, though, is arrogant. He proclaims to Ezio his confidence, his assurance that he is doing well. And obviously, whether one is a master or not, we all have this type of sentiment at times. You know, we feel secure and safe and comfortable with our lot in life. And yet, really, uh, through ordeals, we have to face hardship. Or do you think that the wind fills me with terror, my festivities thrive among the clouds and storms? Obviously, this is the language of an initiate. And it's important that we find joy even in the worst moments because we can become poisoned by morbidity, pessimism, despair. See there the cup which will be the agent of our wrath, Foresto says to Odabella. And why is it that this horn is poisoned? Because a horn, you know, on an animal really signifies the sexual virility, right? I mean, um, they drink from the horned goblets, wine, and as a symbol, it represents the fires and potential of the sexual force, the wine of alchemy. Which is why in the book of Revelation, we find a verse that we stated earlier, but which emphasizes the power of Samael. The sexuality is the power of the initiate. When the wine of transmutation is elevated up the spine, when the virility of God goes to the head, not downward, we are working with a positive aspect of Samael. And yet, if we are lustful or negative and we use the sexual energy in the wrong way, we are poisoned. We are sick. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Foresto says, this will be the agent of our wrath. Because the poison, the sexual force, or better said, the karma for sexual misdeeds will kill the initiate. Now, whether we face it at a beginning level or a later level, really uh, out of compassion, divinity postpones the payment. Otherwise, we can't do the work. If we died of an incurable sickness in our 20s, and our 30s, if we've really seriously dedicated ourselves to this path, we can't advance. So divinity says, okay, 
we see that Attila, the initiate, must be poisoned, must face the consequences of karma. But hold off the poison. Let him die by the sword instead. And that is a form of wrath. The wrath of karma plays out in the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, El Shaddai, the sexual force. So, Odabella proclaims that he must die through mystical death. This mystical death is achieved when we have fully eliminated the ego, when we die by the sword. When the Kundalini rises and all imperfection is eliminated. Then, at the height of that, which is the second mountain, when there is no ego, then the physical body dies. The initiate pays their karma through an incurable sickness, and then internally they resurrect. They've achieved the second mountain. But for that, they need Odabella. And even in our level, if we die by the sword through chastity, we stave off other situations that could kill us physically. I mean, personally, I had a moment in my life where I was told internally, either you're going to eliminate your ego and change, or you will die physically. It was a, a terrible choice, but obviously out of necessity, I, I chose and I'm trying to change. And then we get help. It's very, um, very severe. The law can be severe. We avoid problems when we kill the ego because the ego is the one who creates dissonance, disharmony. So she says, on the appointed day, which is the height of the second mountain, as I have sworn to God through the being park dog duty, this is the sword which must strike them down. What is that being park dog duty mentioned by Gurdjieff? It's a internal language. Some people say he made up certain words to uh, be either quirky or funny or unusual, but he's referring to a language of the internal planes. This being park dog duty is the obligation of the soul to kill the ego and to self-realize. In order to do that, Odabella says, this is the sword that must strike him down. And that he does, and that she does so on the top of the second mountain. But obviously, in our level, we can work and kill the ego step by step. So Odino brings the cup of hospitality to Attila. To drink per his orders. Orders. Odabella warns him of its poison. For us to admit to the crime. Yes, he who once snatched the crown from your locks. So, Odabella, faithful witness, faithful and beautiful Ida, postpones the punishment so that they can, so the initiate can work out of divine mercy to perfect the work. For us to admit to the crime, it's I'm, I'm the one who tried to poison you. And that's very interesting. Why would the powers of the force, the elemental powers of the being, of nature, try to poison the ego. In a sense, look at what we're doing to the environment. We're poisoning nature with all of our technology and our lifestyle. 
And therefore, nature is starting to cleanse humanity. Forest fires, volcanoes, natural disasters, all these things which are destroying people and, and killing many. Because nature, the elementals and powers of the forest are basically going to kill the sickness of this planet. Foresto admits to the crime, I am the one who snatched the crown from your locks. Because divinity says you are not a king except through divine will. Odabella tells Attila how she wants to be the one responsible for Resto's fate for having told Attila of the conspiracy. And this line is very interesting because she's hinting that Attila is going to be her prey. So she's playing the role of Judith in the Bible, seducing the king, the enemy of Israel, so as to slay him. King, no one can take my prey from me. I saved you. I revealed the crime. Let the wretch be punished by me alone. The real prey is Attila. I give him to you, but a worthier prize is reserved for you, my faithful one. Attila says to Odabella, Od, the faithful witness, the sexual power risen in the spine of the initiate. Tomorrow you'll be greeted by the people as the king's wife. Obviously, Odabella is distressed that she's going to be married to the impurity of the psyche because that sexual power is mixed but must continue to be purified. The king's wife, every initiate is married to the sword, the kundalini, the divine mother in the levels. Attila already in this opera is working to eliminate the rest of the ego. But obviously in our level, we learn to become married to the Divine Mother as well as the Kundalini up seven steps, seven swords, seven bodies, seven spinal columns. That marriage of the wife with the king is Shekinah with Israel, the Divine Mother with the soul. So Attila tells Ezio and the Hunts, after his death, is, his life is spared, My brave warriors, I ask of you just one day of joy and song. Then the avenging scourge will again thunder all around. Ezio, announce meanwhile in Rome that I have torn aside the veil of dreams. It's a strange line, right? You know, he just escaped death, was nearly poisoned. People were conspiring against him. And he says, tell the Romans I have torn away the veil of dreams. Because while working with Zain, Od or Ida, the two witnesses of the spine, we see the whole multidimensionality of the universe. We tear the veil of illusion and see the higher mysteries. Because the sexual power is what grants revelation. To give testimony means to work with the testes, whether it's a man or a woman, stones of the testicles or ovaries. So they go to celebrate. It is the power of Samael which is really the deciding factor here. So after the Attila's line, the chorus exclaims that let us continue to be festive and to party. Obviously, there's the language here. There's two ways to use the sexual force. 
and Samael is the power of sex in us, which, if it is pure, is chastity. If it is, if it is lustful, it is the bacchanalias. O powerful king, rouse your heart. Return to blood, return to fire. Go, faithful man, feed on sensual pleasure, delight in it. That powerful king is Samael, the power of sex. Return to blood, rouse your heart, meaning slay the ego, perfect yourself. Return to fire, that primordial root nature of being. Go, faithful man, feed on sensual pleasure, which obviously to indulge in the passions of lust obviously is negative. But an alchemist, while enjoying the sweet fragrance of love, transforms that act. Transforms Eden, which means pleasure, from something sensual into something chaste. Ezio announced, meanwhile, in Rome that I have torn aside the veil of dreams because the power of Samael is what illuminates. So there's a great conflict. Attila's alive. His ego's still there. Fat. Foresto contemplates Odobello's hateful marriage to Attila and is driven to fury. Uldino appears by the shore, warns Foresto that Attila's taken Odobello to his tent. Also, he tells Foresto that Ezio and his Roman troops are armed and ready beyond the forest. So, karma's accumulating. Situations are going to get worse for Attila. The pressure is exerted on the psyche. And obviously, Foresto is in pain because the being is in pain as a result of our psyche being mixed with ego. So, he zealously wants the purification of the soul. And Attila really cannot be married to Odabella except through death. If we want the perfect matrimony, we have to die, meaning the union in this, the soul with Bina, the Holy Spirit. Foresto calls Odabella faithless for not waiting to marry him. So he proclaims his despair of this treachery, or what seems to be treachery, because the fire is mixing with the devil. What would that wretched man not have offered for Odabella? Even heaven forgive me, even your immortal garland. Why does your serenity shine in the faces of the traitors? Why do you place among the angels those with such wicked hearts? In a sense, this isn't a, a protestation against the seeming arbitrariness of fate. Why do some people who are wicked get to the top? Whereas the humble and the innocent suffer. It's because of karma. We must pay for our misdeeds. But the one who equilibrates karma is Odobella. When the ego is dead, we pay our debts. So Ezio appears and his warriors are ready for the signal. This is the moment of the supreme death of the ego. Ezio tells to Foresto, they will all burst out like flashes of lightning upon the accursed monster when the Romans are about to siege the camp. Not one, not one of the barbarians shall return to his household gods. So the Romans are the forces of the higher realms, the agents of karma who are going to exert the final cataclysm for the initiate. So this is the level of a master, obviously. But in our level in the beginning, we face great hardships like this where situations just get so intense. 
We don't know how to act. We feel pressure because it is a crucible. You cannot kill the impurity without boiling at 100 degrees. And nobody likes this path. To feel yourself at 100 degrees Celsius boiling to the point of, of temptation to make a wrong move or to protest in anger and lust or pain to do things that go against the law psychologically and also physically. But this is the moment, like flashes of lightning, we face the pain so that what must be eliminated must be eliminated. Not one of the barbarians, not one of the egos shall return to their household gods, their idols. They shall be dethroned. Love, sex, and death are the synthesis of this path. As evidenced by the chorus to Odabella, when she runs to, or she's being led to Attila's tent to consummate their marriage. Enter amid applause, O virgin, the tent is open for you. They overhear Foresto and Ezio. Foresto says, it is the prenuptial hymn. Ezio says, it will become a funeral dirge. The perfect matrimony kills the ego. It is a song of love and death. Our Divine Mother loves the soul, but will slaughter the ego at any cost. Even those souls that decide not to change, who go down into the hell realms, their Divine Mother goes with them. She never abandons the soul. But out of great pain and compassion, she waits to annihilate those souls downward so that they can be free. But she cries and asks for the soul to go up, to return to her. Love and death are like two hooves from the same horse. Samuel says in the perfect matrimony that the path of life is formed by the hoof prints of the horse of death. And so Attila is going to face accusations before the karmic tribunal, the temples of Anubis and of Ma'at, the truth. Odabella flees the marriage bed of Attila with her crown and sword, running to Foresto. She proclaims her faithful love to Foresto and that her heart is pure. Foresto is still enraged because Attila is still alive. The ego is still there. Ezio tries to calm the lovers as Attila appears and realizes the betrayal. And this happens with every initiate. Whether you are finalizing your accounts with the Lords of Karma or whether you're in a step of your path of initiation in which you are accused, you have stolen, you have lied, you have killed, you have lusted, you have betrayed. Because whether we've fulfilled those acts physically in this life is one thing, but we carry the karma of our past lives and our ego. We've done many things in our past existences, existences that are negative. And so we are accused before the law. Even our own conscience comes against us. Odabella proclaims that Attila slew her father. Foresto lost his homeland. Ezio is indignant for everyone in Rome, Amore, the kingdom of love, against Attila's cruelty. 
This is like an inversion of the three traitors, Judas, Pilate, Caiaphas, but it's divinity now accusing the soul. Odebella says Attila slew her father. All of us have killed our inner God, the potential of God to act in us. Forresto lost his homeland, meaning the elemental forces of nature are now corrupt in the initiate. Because in our past, we used the four elements wrongly. Earth, air, fire, water. Our homeland is corrupt. In Ezio, the knowledge of Io, the tree of knowledge, is indignant for everyone in Rome because the law says he is cruel. What greater cruelty do we show than when we harm our Divine Mother? That is the great cruelty and travesty. And so the three of them say, the wrath of heaven hangs over you. You will pay your karma. So we see in the background an image of the Temple of Maat, of Anubis judging the heart and the feather of the mind of the defunct. Meaning that initiate is going to eliminate the rest of his ego. His heart and mind must be in balance. And Tot, or Hermes, I believe, is with a scroll waiting next to Typhon Baphomet. The devil, the jaws of the abyss, which are waiting to say, will we have him? Will he fail? Or will he avoid the second death? Because this initiate has established their account and have settled their accounts with the tribunals of justice in the divine planes. So how do we slay the ego? Whether we are masters or not, beginners or advanced students or initiates. Odebella, Forresto, Ezio. Ida, Bella, the feminine sexual force. Zain, the sexual power of the divine mother, the Kundalini. Forresto, Pingala, or Vav, in the spine. And Ezio, Otsio, the tree of knowledge, the tree of Io, the spinal column, or the power that rises from sex up the spine to the two channels, Ida and Pingala. Together with those forces, that trinity, the ego dies when we direct the power of the Divine Mother to any defect we've comprehended in meditation. And that is how she slays them. So, the final verdict, as you saw in the opera. You have Odobella here. The Romans charge. She says, Father, Father, I sacrifice him to you. And after she slays him, Attila, God, the people, and the king are fully avenged. I believe even Nietzsche had a line from Thus Book Zarathustra saying, Myself I sacrifice to my love and my neighbor to myself. Kind of a strange play on Love thy God above all things, and thy neighbor is thyself. I sacrifice my ego to my love, to my divine mother. And my neighbor, by eliminating my ego, we present the best to humanity. So obviously, this path, or these symbols, apply to the level of a master, but also as we're entering initiation, we die in levels. We don't need to be a master of the fifth initiation of major mysteries to appreciate the depths of this work. Because 
this work is performed in octaves. We have to learn to die and resurrect through the physical body, astral body, mental body, causal body, upward, degree by degree. But a master who's really perfecting themselves, like on the second mountain, the ego is fully eliminated. And therefore, that soul can resurrect, return to Bina, the Holy Spirit. You have questions? So as he's dying, or right before then, Attila says something like, woman, why would you kill the man who loves you? Can you talk about what that symbolizes for us? Especially in the end of the path. If we get to that point, we face very severe karma. And we even say, like, why are you punishing me, God, when I love you so much? Obviously, we, could, we face that in degrees. You know, we face ordeals where, like, I love you, my being. Why would I go through this? And it's because it's painful. And even a level of a master who's entering the, the end is like, they say, why? Eli, Eli, Lama, Samachani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the cry of despair of any initiate on the cross. But that line also is Mayan. Into the golden dawn of thy presence. Not just Hebrew. It's a Mayan phrase. But that's the way. To return to the golden dawn of his presence, we have to die and suffer. But by suffering consciously, we transcend. Karma paid, no more pain. Done. Therefore, victory. So I know it sounds dark, Verdi's Attila, his hero dies. A lot of other Verdi operas and other operas, the hero dies. So it might seem negative in a conventional level, but initiatically, very good. So the hero must pay what they owe. So does every initiate have to die from a incurable disease? At the end, when all the karma is going to be paid or paid, we call it karma duru or kama duru and karma saya. These are unforgivable crimes, crimes of lust and adultery. The Bible talks about the unforgivable sins against the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is sex. Because if we misuse the sexual energy, we poison the soul. And therefore, in the opera, Uldino, his conscience, is going to poison Attila, meaning he will pay with an incurable sickness. He will pay his kamaduro, karmasaya. Kama means passion, desire. Duro, the etymology escapes me, but Karma saya is like the karma of adultery, having many multiple sexual partners. Kamaduro is the karma of lust, which obviously with the imbalance of the sexual energy, the soul becomes sick and then it'll manifest as a disease. But that karma is very severe and it has to end with death, which is why that payment is postponed at the very end. Happened with Jesus, Samal Vior. Many initiates who died of a terminal illness. But as we're looking to ascend to that point, we, uh, we don't get that right away in many cases because it's a very severe. And if we just died 
right now we couldn't do the work. So that karma is postponed. It's intelligently managed by divinity. And it's always very painful. Very severe. But out of compassion, Odubella says, he must die by the sword instead. Let his ego die first. And then, like Job, in the eight years of patience and suffering, with no ego left, they pay that karma because now they have the strength and the clarity to be able to transform it. At our level, we would just be over. We'd complain, we'd, we'd protest, we'd get, very, we'd get very angry. But at a level of a master, they say, okay, I know this is my end, but now that I'm fully free of ego, I can pay that karma with intelligence. Because even at that level, you can make mistakes. You know, if you don't transform it with your full consciousness, make it worse. But yeah, it's a deep symbol. If you want to know more about Kamaduro and Karmasaya, I believe on Glorian.org, there's a lecture in a series called uh, Transformation of Energy. Talk a lot about that, those two forms of karma, which are paved with an incurable sickness. You also find it in, uh, they mention it in, uh, live in a course called The Path of the Bodhisattva. Goes into much more greater detail. Seems like a lot of opera. Ends on a sour note. Somebody dies. I mean, um, but hopefully, uh, you can see the beauty of the symbol. Death is not something to run away from. It should be welcomed. Psychological death. Mystical death. And that explains why, you know, how the initiate conquers. You can't resurrect without death. And at one level, these operas obviously entertain people because people like, even in the times of Verdi or Wagner, like to see people die or Terrible situations happen, but it's a message. It's a deeper message behind it. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at chicagognosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.